total sales of legal cannabis in the United States was 4.5 billion. Mm -hmm. Now, two years later, at the end of 2018, total legal sales, again, legal sales is expected to be $11 billion in the United States, okay? California is expected to grab about $3 billion of that industry. Hi, you're listening to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. If you're a real estate investor, this is the podcast for you. Our guest speakers will bring you amazing, intriguing, and unbelievable stories about real estate investing. The stories will be an honest and transparent account about what it actually means to invest in real estate. You'll hear stories that investors don't usually share. Stories about hardships, breaking points, painful truths, and surprising realizations. Sometimes there's a happy ending, and sometimes the story ends very differently than you would expect. So let's get the show started. Hello and welcome to That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Today we're doing something a little bit different than our usual format. This is our bonus track where I talk with experts about the hottest trends in real estate. And today I'm hosting Leslie Pletner from Basecana, a company that helps cannabis entrepreneurs launch their businesses. And she will share very valuable information about the cannabis industry, something that I've been very, very curious about for a long time. Hey, Leslie, welcome to the show. Hi, Ellie. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, this industry is very intriguing because as we had a little bit of a, you know, a short conversation before we started recording and I told you, you know, I was, I used to be a lawyer. So for me, it's intriguing to see a very valuable opportunity, a new trend that is just going to go and grow. It's not going anywhere for sure. Yeah. And, and that's why I wanted to, you know, have you as an expert in the field to talk about this industry and, and kind of help our listeners learn more about it. it. seems like there's so much information online or we're starting to have to see more information and it's kind of confusing. You're not sure which information is, is right and accurate. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show. So can you tell our listeners a bit about your background and how you got started? in the cannabis industry? Absolutely. I mean, I'll talk a little bit about my professional experience. I've really been an entrepreneur all of my life. I started my first company when I was in middle school, and then I shifted my entrepreneurial interests into education, and I started new schools, and I transformed underperforming schools, mostly working at the intersection of leadership and team development and professional learning. And then I wanted to have kids. (laughs) And my spouse and I are both in education. And as most people know, that's not necessarily a great income to raise a family in in the Bay Area. I live and I'm from from the Bay Area. So when I was pregnant, I decided to start a real estate development and investment company. I did that in 2009 and had some great success working in single family and working in multifamily and the commercial space. And my business partner and I purchased a property in December of 2012, and it was zone multi-use. So we're like, hey, this is multi-use. Why don't we go ahead and advertise Prop 215 Friendly and see what the response is. So we, we'd spent three or four months getting the repositioning the property And so we started advertising in like April of 2013. You know, Prop 
215 was the medical cannabis law that was the you know semi-regulated law in California for the law of the land since 1996. The phone was like, ring, 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 ring. Like we were really amazed at the response just because we put Prop 215 friendly in the ad. And so in that moment, I was like, wow, there's not a lot of cannabis friendly landlords. There is a niche opportunity here for the savvy real estate investor. I'm going to just kind of, you know, file that away and remember that. You know, that's how I got into cannabis real estate. More specifically, I'll also add that in the summer of 2015, I had heard that there was an initiative to collect signatures to get Prop 64 on the ballot for the 2018 election. And I turned to my business partner at that time and I said, hey, this almost passed last time. We know it's going to go. We're right in front of a massively expanding industry. We know there's a real estate niche for the savvy real estate investor. Let's jump in the game. And so I've been in the cannabis game fairly exclusively now for the last few years. Specifically, I started out as a cannabis landlord, but it's it's evolved, you know, from there. Interesting. <laughs> so I'm a cannabis and real estate investor and entrepreneur. Interesting. Very interesting story. So you basically started to show some interest in that industry because you saw the demand from other investors. And and what happened to that property that you wanted to sell? We were looking to rent it. And so we actually looked to rent it to Mm. some Prop 215 operators. And then ultimately, there was concern about security, which is a legitimate concern. And I understand it much better now. The ingress and egress were a little off. And so we ultimately positioned it to a, a resident. It was zoned multi-use, so we could put a business in there, Got and we it. could put a, a resident in there. And so we, we have a person living in that small family. Got it. Very interesting. Okay. And so can you give our listeners a little bit of an overview of the cannabis real estate market? You know, I, I understand how it started for, for you, but it'll be great if you can share what you know about how it started, you know, here in the U.S. and specifically, you know, what markets do you think are, are good for that type of investment? Absolutely. In order to understand the cannabis real estate opportunity, you first have to understand the cannabis opportunity and specifically the size of the opportunity. So Ellie, in 2016, total sales of legal cannabis in the United States was 4.5 billion. Mm -hmm. Now, two years later, at the end of 2018, total legal sales, again, legal sales is expected to be $11 billion in the United States, okay? California is expected to grab about $3 billion of that industry. Now, in 2022, it's expected to be a 23 billion dollar industry and Conan and that's BDS analytics Conan company anticipates that it could be a 75 billion dollar industry by 2030 so now just to give you a, a sense of the size of that market there aren't that many industries that have posted 5 billion in sales and then grown at a really impressive compound annual growth rate. Uh, Cable television did in the 80s. They posted 5 billion and they grew at 19% CAGR for five years. And then broadband internet did in the early 2000s where they they posted 5 billion in sales and then for the next five years they grew at a 29% compound annual growth rate. So cannabis is positioned to do just that. It's expected to have a compound annual growth rate for the next, of 25% for the next five years. So 
And here's the thing, real estate is the underpinning of the cannabis market. And here's why. In order to participate in the regulated market, you have to have a license. Each license is tied to real estate. So if you're cultivating, manufacturing, testing, distributing, there's a micro business license in California. If you're selling retail or delivery, if you're hosting an event, all of those license types, which are, there's seven license types and about 20 licenses in California, for instance, every single one of them is tied to real estate. So it's an amazing opportunity. It's a new asset class, it's a new commercial asset class. It's giving a lot of landlords or investors an opportunity to reposition warehouses, to reposition offices, and to reposition retail opportunity, for instance. You just have to understand how big the market is. And just, just to compare the market size, like in the United States, movie tickets are $11 billion industry annually, right? So that's, so movie tickets and cannabis are gonna be about the same this year. Like beer is like $106 billion annually. You know, cannabis could be a $75 billion industry within 12 years. So it is a massive, massive industry and real estate is the underpinning of the industry. Right, because without real estate, you can't really grow that industry, you know, as fast as, as you want unless you're importing from other countries. But they're, basically what you're saying is that because the industry is about to grow in such an amazing rate, then there's going to be demand and we need real estate to meet the demand. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right, interesting. So you mentioned California. What are the other, you know, markets that you can find, you know, those opportunities? I'm, I'm guessing, you know, obviously not all states made it legal. Uh, what, what states, you know, for an investor that is interested in investing in, you know, cannabis real estate, one of those opportunities, what states are legal from what you know? Sure. They're about, I believe, I believe it's 31 states that have legalized cannabis for medicinal purposes and nine states and nine states that have both medical and adult use regulations. California is expected to be the biggest cannabis market in North America. It will rival that of Canada. So California's market will be potentially just about as big or even bigger than Canadians, like entire market. Wow. So California is an exciting opportunity. Now, there's a lot of investors who know that and they're focusing on California. So there's other states that are kind of going under under the radar. And, you know, I spoke earlier about overall cannabis is going to have a 25% annual compound annual growth rate over the, over the next five years. But if you segment that market a little bit more and you're like, well, within the cannabis market, like which markets are going to be emerging? The medical markets for that are emerging have a, a really impressive compound annual growth rate, kind of like stunning at 65%. So states like Florida, New York, Texas, Ohio, North Dakota, the, and there are several more, but those, those are a handful of states that have emerging medical markets. You also want to look at states that have emerging adult use markets. So California, for instance, and the compound annual growth rate is 27% for emerging adult use markets. So still like very, very impressive. Oregon, Washington, Colorado, they're, they're mature 
markets, they're, they're going to have an, a compound annual, annual growth rate of about 11%. But if you're an investor, you obviously want to look for the bigger returns. So I would look at emerging medical markets, and I would look at emerging adult use markets. So Michigan is a very, I think, exciting opportunity. Texas is going to be huge. Oklahoma is exciting. It's right near Texas. If you can you know, es- establish a position in Oklahoma, it may make it easier to get into Texas. So in general, I would advise your listeners to, to figure out where are the emerging adult markets and where are the emerging medical markets and which states and, and look at investing in those particular states, some of which I've listed. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And I think this is a great, it's a great answer, by the way, and it's a great segue to my next question, which is, you know, what knowledge do you need or does an investor need in order to be successful in those type of investments? I would say that there are definitely two things you really need to pay attention to. So one is how are you underwriting the real estate? What is it that you have to pay attention to and be aware of working in this new asset class? So, you know, I literally could probably talk a good 30 minutes on this, but I'll share some highlights quickly. You really have to understand First, you have to make sure that you're working in a municipality in a jurisdiction that's actually regulating. You, you've got to make sure in order to protect your investment and protect your asset, you have to participate in a jurisdiction and a state that's actually regulating for cannabis because you want to make sure you're going to get a license, <laughs> okay? Now, so once you've got that figured out and you, and you know for sure we're going to go legal or participate in the, in, the, in the legal market, then you really have to understand zoning. Zoning, I wish I could tell you, here are the five things to know about zoning, but zoning is so unique and so particular. You literally have to just go into your jurisdiction and study what the zoning rules are for cannabis activity. For instance, in in San Francisco, in most municipalities, you know, let's say light industrial is zoned for, you know, manufacturing, a, a volatile manufacturing license. Typically, that would be true than light industrial anywhere in the city. But in San Francisco, light industrial in one neighborhood is zoned for one cannabis activity, but it could be very different in an, in another neighborhood. So we're not even just talking about city-specific. We could be talking about neighborhood-specific. So you really have to understand zoning and how zoning applies to the cannabis regulation of that jurisdiction. That's really, really critical. The other thing that you need to pay attention to is tax treatment. There are a lot of municipalities that are quite excited about the tax revenue that cannabis is generating or that they want it to generate. Some municipalities are actually crippling the uh, entrepreneurs that they're making it really hard because it's such a such a high tax burden. That's part of why you've seen a hiccup actually in the California market. So you want to make sure that you understand the tax treatment of the municipality that you're looking into. And you, you want either favorable tax treatment or relatively favorable tax treatment in the municipality that you're looking for. That's definitely something to pay attention to. Another big thing about this industry is utilities, especially if you're cultivating really high demand and utility. So you want to make sure that your the, the property can be repositioned for its utility purposes. And then of course, security is another another big criteria that 
that we underwrite our property. I'm actually writing a blog about this. It's, it's going to be on our, in our newsletter coming out this month. So I go into greater detail in my blog. But again, just for your listeners right now who are listening, security is critical. It's essential. It's important. And not all properties can, are actually positioned to be uh, secured and fortified. So that's, that's something you pay attention to. To answer the other part of your question, again, cannabis is a new asset class. So how is it that you actually qualify your tenant? Or in our case at Base Canna, we call our tenant member operators. So how is it that you qualify those? In many cases, just like you qualify other commercial tenants, it's the same. Are they financially viable? Are they legally viable? Is their business viable? And at Base Canna, we definitely pay attention to business viability. One thing your listeners should pay attention to is what is your tenant's orientation towards compliance, for instance? This is a really heavily regulated industry, and your tenant will not be successful if they are not successful with following the law and making sure that they are compliant at every step of the way. So what's the experience or traction or orientation towards compliance, right? That's really big. Do they pay their taxes? We have seen a lot of landlords lose money even in the 250, in the Prop 215 era because their tenants didn't pay taxes. I mean, that's a really easy, quick way for the government to intervene and say, sorry, you can no longer be operational. So you've got to pay your taxes. Wow. Are the tenants following OSHA? What's OSHA? OSHA is the Occupational Safety Hazard Association. I'm not sure, but basically the workplace, the laws that govern workplace safety especially in California, there are a lot of rules and regulations that you have to abide by. So that's something, what's, what's their orientation towards workplace compliance and workplace regulation and workplace safety? You know, that's a few things I would say that, would, that it's helpful. Here's the other big thing. If you're investors, it would be a mistake to assume, wow, this could be a $75 billion market by 2030. I'm going to just invest in anything cannabis. No. There are high growth, high value segments within the cannabis market, and then there are those that are way more risky. For instance, and I love my farmers and I love my cultivators, I love my growers out there, but growing, you know, the flower will be the first to get commoditized. And so there's the greatest risk in my mind in being a, a landlord for a, you know, a cultivation. I actually am a landlord for a cultivation, but my acquisition strategy now is focusing more on manufacturing because that's the high value, high growth segment of the market. And I still believe that great cultivators, and I have an amazing cultivator on my team, there will continue to be a boutique market, especially in California. And you know, when federal regulations lift, there's going to be a lot of people who want cannabis from Northern California. <laughs> You've got to be really, really careful about yeah. making sure that you just don't invest in anything cannabis. You have to be strategic and do your due diligence and determine where are the high value, high growth segments within this industry. Uh, so it really sounds as if investors must be very hands-on, especially with the tenants' compliances and make sure there's no risk that is associated with compliances when it comes from, you know, the tenant's point of view. From your experience, how can you, I mean, how hard is it to really be on top of things and make sure that the tenant is actually 
in compliance with whatever is needed to be done because this is is a major risk you can do whatever you can you have control over your company your employees but when it comes to your tenants it's a little bit harder you know to make sure that they're that they're doing what they should absolutely so let me answer that in two different ways so remember how i said earlier in the podcast that i first entered the game thinking I was going to be your cannabis friendly landlord, mm-hmm. but I quickly right. realized that I needed to be more than that. So, you know, I have a lot of business acumen on my team. You know, my, my co-founder based Canada is a warden graduate. You know, I've developed and transformed, you know, underperforming organizations. So we have quite a bit of business acumen on our team. And it seemed like that we were meeting a lot of very talented operators and who were really talented at their craft and good at, good at their craft, but we're new to working in a compliant driven industry. And so, you know, it was, they were going to benefit from greater support. So I would tell your listeners, Hey, if you're thinking about being a cannabis, you know, real estate investor, think about just jumping into the game entirely and, and potentially becoming business partners and taking equity positions in companies. I mean, that's, that's one way to answer the question. The second way to answer the question is, you know, if you can be an early mover in a particular state and or a particular city, you know, especially as the cannabis market matures. So in another year or two, there's going to be a lot of companies that are established that have proven traction in other states who are going to be looking to expand in other markets. So you want to try to, at best, attract those kind of companies. Uh, There's a colleague of mine who invested in a real estate property in Santa Rosa, and they were able to get some top talent who had experience and a proven track record in California and also Nevada. So they were able to attract top talent and they're fine being the, you know, cannabis friendly landlord. For me, I couldn't help but jump in because I have an affinity for the plant and its medicinal qualities. And I won't be shy about saying I appreciate its adult use, you know, magic as well. (laughs) So I was happy to kind of jump in and and move beyond Mm -hmm. the real estate game. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that actually, that also answers my next question, which is about how we as investors can mitigate the risks that, you know, are associated with this asset class with, you know, cannabis real estate. Yes. So it bears repeating, but if, if you can do some due diligence and look, sign it, I tell your listeners to sign up to our newsletter because, you know, we, we provide insight every month, but you want to make sure that you're, if you can do your due diligence and determine, hey, where is the high growth, high value segment within cannabis? Where are those markets? Where are those opportunities? Figure that out. That will reduce your risk. There is a big reason why we've pivoted our acquisition strategy towards properties that can obtain manufacturing and distribution licenses because we've done our market analysis. The other way that you mitigate your risk, and I and I mentioned this already, but again, it, you want to make sure that you are compliant, that your tenant is compliant within this jurisdiction. And paying taxes, OSHA, and making sure that the licenses are current. And the, the other way to mitigate risk is banking continues to be a challenge. You know, because of federal prohibition, banks aren't allowed to do, you know, banking transactions with 
with company with cannabis companies. So it's, I mean, there are a few solutions, but it remains a really big problem that unfortunately the industry is still very cash driven. So when you're, you want to mitigate your risk by making sure that your tenant really understands how to be successful operating under the current banking system. Interesting. Well, I think there's a lot more to learn and, and to experience as the industry evolves. Regulation will evolve with it. For early adopters like yourself, there's probably some very unique challenges that you encountered. And, and I think you talked a little bit about it when in the first property that you wanted to rent out, the multi-use one. Can you share with me and, and the listeners one interesting challenge that you've encountered or maybe you're still you know, dealing with that is pretty unique to this industry compared to all other asset classes in real estate? Absolutely. These are very unique to this particular asset class. So <laughs> there's two words, delay and well, three words, delay and proper capitalization. So because the many of the municipalities are just trying to figure this out and pass their regulations, I don't know of one municipality that has hit its target deadline. Maybe Nevada. I mean, but in terms of California, they've had a really challenging time passing their regulations. And so there's been significant delay, which has led to your listeners need to be aware of undercapitalization. The longer it takes to execute, the longer, you know, the more money you pay in holding costs. Mm -hmm. And so you have, you have to make sure that you're, that you're mitigating for delay and you're making sure that, that your property ca properly capitalized. I mean, it's big. And the, the other thing is if we are an early mover, I mean, we're actually, we have found ourselves often in the role of educator and working with municipalities and working with county supervisors or working with, you know, mayors and city council members, we have found that we've oftentimes been in the role of educator, which is kind of fun for me because that's my past too. And so we've been very successful in essentially serving as our, as our own political operatives. But for those who may not be familiar with the space or may not, you know, understand how to maneuver successfully in the political world, you know, your investors ought to consider hiring a political operative to support them if they're going to be really early movers. And, and that's a very, very, you know, good advice. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Before we kind of approaching the end of our interview, what really is interesting to me is to see what you see, you know, see the industry through your eyes. So where do you see the cannabis industry going? You know, obviously we heard about the either $23 billion or $73 billion, but besides the, the market cap, where do you see this industry going, especially in the U.S.? Luckily, I see the stigma fading away. And I see the truth about this plant and the truth about how this plant has been demonized and how people of color have been criminalized disproportionately to those of their white counterparts. So I see that the truth is gonna come out about the medical benefits of this plant, the medicinal value of this plant. I think people will turn to it for pain management. The opioid crisis, is we're gonna see that going down. I think we're gonna see less alcohol abuse less violence that's a result of alcohol abuse because I think those who may be looking to kind of drop their shoulders and relax a little bit, I believe that cannabis is an amazing alternative for 
those people who are seeking that kind of experience. So I see a cultural transformation. I Almost 90, I think 4% of Americans believe that cannabis should be medically available. And like 60, no, around 65% believe that it should just all be available for adult and medical use. So, you know, about four out of 10 Americans still, I think, need to be educated about the medicinal qualities of this plan and understand the real truth behind it. I, that's what I see. And, and honestly, the, the cultural part of this experience and the cultural part of this movement inspires me just as much as the real estate piece or the business aspects. All right. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. You've definitely opened my eyes and I'm sure, you know, you've added a lot of value to our listeners. So before, you know, we go, I just want to ask you, you know, we, I ask all of my guests the same question at the end. If you could look back and give, you know, a piece of advice to your 20 year old self, what would you say? When I was 20, I was really committed to making sure that my work was aligned with my passion. And I kind of divorced my work and my passion from money. And what I think I would tell my 20-year-old self is, look, you can pursue both at the same time. Money is not the root of all evil. I, Similar to you, I grew up poor. So I grew up with kind of a poverty mindset. So it took me a little while to realize that and shake it. So I, what I would tell my 20-year-old self is, hey, you can make money and build wealth and that can be aligned with your values. And that can be connected to or independent from your passion projects. And for me, one of my passions and projects is education. I think poor kids deserve an access to a high quality education. I've spent much of my life making that true for a lot of families and a lot of communities. But that's what I wish my 20-year-old self would have known. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Very interesting. And I, I totally share the passion that you have for, you know, education for, for kids from underprivileged, you know, families and in different parts of the world as well. And so lastly, Leslie, where can people find you? Where, where can our, our listeners find you? So I would suggest check out our website and email me. Our website is www.basecana, that's B-A-S-E-C-A-N-N-A.com. And I would love to get emails too from any listeners. And you can email me at leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E, at basecana.com. All right. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show today and for sharing this valuable information. I hope you have a great day and hope that the listeners like me learned a lot today about this amazing and intriguing industry. We're definitely, you know, there's a, a huge shift in the mindset of the legislator and investors. And I think you know, if just take all the information, it's it's a lot. It's a, sometimes a lot to process, but definitely very, very valuable. Thank you so much, Leslie. Thank you so much. I appreciate being on your show. Good luck. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.